So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink. Drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she, she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word that you have seen fit to have us consider this morning. We thank you, O Lord, for Ruth and for Boaz and for this account of their first meeting. We pray, O Lord, that you would teach us from your word, that you would grow us in faith, and that you would cause us to walk in humble obedience to all that you command. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, some of you are probably familiar with this argument that is made. Sometimes it is said that the Old Testament and the New Testament offer two competing perspectives on who God is and the character and the nature of God. The Old Testament, it is said, uh, shows a God who is wrathful and angry, one who comes up with laws and punishes those who do not keep them. But in the New Testament, he is shown to be loving and caring, and he gives the way of salvation through Christ. And I hope you can identify that this line of thinking forgets a very basic and fundamental fact about who God is. And that is that He does not change. That He does not change. He has not changed in His dealings with man from the Old Testament to the New. He is the same in both. He is the same in His dealings with humanity. And if you spend time reading the Bible, you will find that His mercy and His love and His kindness are just as much on display in the Old Testament as the New. And his wrath and judgment, his punishment for sin is just as much on display in the New Testament as in the Old. How else can you explain what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? 
except that it is the very wrath of God. Now, one of the places that God's loving kindness in the Old Testament is on display is in the book of Ruth. And we saw it as we went through chapter 1. We saw God's mercy and his tenderness to Ruth and to Naomi as he brought them to repentance. He brought them and caused them to return to the land of Bethlehem, to the land of Judah. He visited his people and brought a great harvest to his people. But God's mercy becomes more and more clear the further you get into this book. You see more and more of what God does. And we'll see it in our passage this morning. Well, the book of Ruth also serves as a reminder that God has always been merciful and loving. He's always acted in this way toward his people. Its pages remind us of old laws and customs through which God has blessed his people for generations. And this morning's passage shows God's mercy in the way that he orchestrates everything that happens for those that love him to bring about good for them. And so this is what I want you to think about this morning as we consider these verses in Ruth chapter 2. God caused everything that happened to Ruth to happen so that she would come under his protective care, under his wings. And he will do the same thing for you. He has done the same thing for you. Again, God caused everything that happened to Ruth to happen to Ruth, who was a foreigner, who was not of the house of Israel, so that she would come under his protective care. And God has done and will do the same for you. I've just taken a fairly simple approach to this passage. I've divided it up into two sections, gleaning in the fields, verses 1 to 11, and the favor of the Lord, verses 12 to 13. Again, gleaning in the fields, verses 1 to 11, and the favor of the Lord, verses 12 and 13. Now, before we get to the main scene in this chapter, the author wants to pause for just a moment and point someone out to us who will be important at a later point. And this is a, a convention that the author uses. He wants to alert us, the readers, to the importance of this man, Boaz. This man who, whose fields Ruth will go uh, to glean in. Verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Well, this man is going to become, quite obviously, if you've read this book uh, ever, you know that quite obviously Boaz is going to become a central figure in the book. He's a central person in the story. And so the author wants us to, to know him early on. He wants to get his name out there early so we know what's coming. And the verse says that he was a relative of Naomi's. And we'll find out later that he was a very close relative, a kinsman redeemer. But right now it's sufficient to know that he is a relative. He's Naomi's kin. And as the ESV translates it, he is a worthy man. Or as the NIV puts it, he's a man of standing. He is a man of power in Bethlehem. He's a man of wealth. He has a high reputation. He's highly regarded by the people of this town. He owns land, as we find out in verse 3. In other words, he would be a wonderful man to cross paths with Ruth, this penniless widow. And we find out, he's also in the clan of Elimelech. Not only is he of the same tribe of Judah, but he's in the same clan. He's a closer family relative. 
And then finally we find out his name is Boaz, which may mean strength. Now we should remember that verse 1 is given for the benefit of the readers. At this point in the story, Ruth does not know who Boaz is. She does not know that she will go to glean in his fields. Naomi does not know at this point that she will go to glean in his fields. And so he has given us a thumbnail description of this man, Boaz. And so verse 2 now shifts to Ruth as she prepares to go out to the fields around Bethlehem to glean. She says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth wants to waste no time in participating in the harvest. She wants to get out there. She wants to bring grain home. She wants to feed her mother-in-law. She wants to be a part of this harvest that God has provided to Bethlehem. And it's quite likely the, the, the language of the passage seems to indicate that she sets out the very next day. We find out that she left early that morning to go and to glean. But what is it exactly that she's going to do? What does this gleaning mean? Well, it means that she's going to go after the reapers of the harvest. She's going to follow along behind them. She's going to pick up what they leave behind. And you see, this is all a part of God's perfect plan. It's all a part of his provision. We read of this uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 to 2. God gives, 9 to 10, God gives the command to his people in Leviticus that when they reap, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Now does this sound like a God of the Old Testament who does not care and does not have mercy? Not only is it for the poor of his people, it's for the sojourners, those who are outside the land, outside of Israel, who come in and sojourn among them. They're the resident aliens who live among the people of Israel. And God says that the poor people and the sojourners have this provision in order for them to be fed. And he gives a similar set of commands in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 to 22. He expands a little bit on what he said in Leviticus. But then he says in verse 22, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Why does God command them to do this? Because they were slaves. They were sojourners. And they had to scrabble. They had to, they had to scramble. They had to fight to find food when they were slaves. And God wants them to treat the sojourners in their midst the way that they would have been treated, would like to have been treated in Egypt. So what's going on here is that the harvester had to leave a strip of unharvested crop around the edges of the field. It was a deliberate uh, leaving behind of the crop. The harvesters could not take all of the grapes off of the vine. They were there to provide for those who did not have enough food on the table or didn't have money to purchase food. And you see, this is because the true owner of the land, God himself, in his heart desires to take care of the less fortunate in society. He would not forget the poor of the people of Israel, even if his own people did. And so he wrote it into his law that those who did not own land, those who did not have money, they would have a means, a way to get food. 
But also notice the importance of what takes place here. The people still have to go out and labor. This isn't a handout. Ruth works hard for the food that she carries home at the end of the day. There is a sense in which she earns her wages as she labors in the field. And what goes unmentioned here, and is only implied a little bit later in the passage that we'll be, as we go through it, is the fact that Ruth risks harm as she goes to glean in the field. She risks life and limb. She risks her safety. You see, fields were not in the heart of the town. They were out on the outskirts. They were in, on the hills and in valleys. They were in places that were less supervised. And Ruth knowingly leaves her mother-in-law behind and goes out by herself as a woman without a husband, as a foreigner in a strange land, and she does it in order to provide for her mother-in-law and for herself. But whatever harm may come, Naomi gives her blessing to Ruth, and Ruth goes out to the fields to glean. And verse 3 says that she set out and gleaned in the fields behind the reaper. She followed along behind them. She picked up what they left off. And then it says she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. Here we have it. The author has alerted us to the fact that Boaz is coming. And here, it just so happens that Ruth ends up in his field. Ruth doesn't know. The intent of the passage is not to convey that Ruth has set out deliberately to go to Boaz's field. She does not know where she has ended up. And that's why this phrase, she happened, is in this verse. Literally, the phrase she happened literally could be translated by chance. She happened to come to part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, at the word chance, some of your ears are you're springing up. You're wondering what's going on here. God is sovereign. Nothing happens by chance, does it? Well, the, the Bible and, and, and even the book of Ruth does not teach that things happen by chance. This entire book is about how God has orchestrated the events of Naomi's and Ruth's lives so that they can become a part of history, so that Ruth can come into the people of God, so that she can become a part of the lineage of David, and more importantly, the lineage of Jesus Christ. So no, this book is not teaching that things happen randomly or by chance. It only stresses that Ruth did not have a plan to end up in Boaz's field. As far as Ruth was concerned, she chanced upon it. And at some point after Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, the man himself appeared. Now what are the chances of that? What are the chances that Ruth would decide to go out and glean on this day? What are the chances that she would end up in the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi's? And then what are the chances that he would decide to go out to his field that day while she's there? Slim to none. It's a beautiful picture of the way that God orchestrates events, the way that he choreographs the lives of his people. And so when Boaz arrives, he immediately notices that this woman is here who doesn't belong there. She's not one of the regulars. And in verse 5, he asks his foreman who she is, whose woman she was. You see, Boaz knows all the people, all the women that he's hired. He wants to know whose woman she is, who's, who's, who has hired her to work. Well, the foreman knows quite a bit about, uh, about Ruth. 
And he tells Boaz that she is the Moabite woman, the Moabitess who returned with Naomi. He says that she had come and asked permission to glean and to gather from among the sheaves of grain. And that she's been working steadily since the early morning. So Boaz's foreman knows quite a bit. But what is going on at Ruth's, in Ruth's mind at this point? What is she thinking right now? She's probably worried. She asked the permission of the foreman, but now the owner is in town. The owner is on the scene. What's going to happen now? Will he cast her out? Will he send her packing? Will he make her dump all the grain that she's gathered on the ground? She hasn't been in town long enough to know this man's reputation. She doesn't know that he's a worthy man. Well, the story does not tell us what Ruth was thinking here, but if she has concerns, Boaz quickly gives her comfort. He extends his protection over her. He calls her his daughter. He tells her to glean only in his field. He says, don't go anywhere else. I have all you need. He says for her to keep close to his young women. He tells her to follow after his reapers. To keep her eyes on them. Don't get lost. Don't, by some sort of accident, wind up in somebody else's field where she could come to harm. He says that he has charged his young men not to touch her. Not to do her any harm. Now, being a foreigner, being especially a Moabitess, she could have very easily been taken advantage of. She was looked down upon, or her, her people were looked down upon by the Israelites. She would have had no one to stand up for her. But as long as Ruth stays in Boaz's field, she is safe. He has extended his care over her. No one will touch her. But beyond his protection, Boaz gives her provision. He takes care of her needs. He tells her in verse 9 that she may get water from what the men have drawn from the well. Whenever she's thirsty, he says. The water that they have earned, that they've labored to bring up, she has access to it. And so the two greatest concerns for Ruth, since she has been in the fields, her concern for her safety and, and for thirst, for for having water to survive, those two concerns have been alleviated. And Ruth is astonished. She cannot believe it. And so what's her reaction here? She falls on her face. She literally touches the ground with her face. She's bowing down before this man, but she is more importantly bowing down before the Lord God of heaven. And she is worshiping him. You see, Boaz was not required by the law to do these things for her. He was not, to go, not required to go above and beyond what the law commanded. And all she hoped for was to glean in what remained behind the reapers. And so she asks him why she, a foreigner, has found favor with him. She doesn't know who he is. She cannot believe the kindness that is being shown to her. And in reality, in truth, this is the kindness that God shows to all of his people. This is the protection and the provision that God offers to all of his children. And she's never experienced it fully. She doesn't know what it means. She's only been in Israel a short time in the land of God's people. She doesn't understand how God provides for his people. 
But her response is one of complete gratitude. And this is a lesson for us, isn't it? This is why we thank the Lord for our food, for our daily bread. This is why we spend time in prayer, in worship, giving thanks to Him. We sing praises and hymns to Him of thanksgiving. Why? Because He has provided for our every need. He has protected us from harm. He has cared for us. Let's turn now and look at verses 11 to 13. The favor of the Lord. In verse 11, Boaz tells Ruth why he is showing her such favor. He says this to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told to me. And how you left your father and mother and native land and came to a people you did not know before. Boaz has heard. He knows what has happened. Ruth and Naomi are the talk of the town. He's just come from Bethlehem. He's heard the news. The tragedies they suffered and Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi had been discussed in the local gathering places. Boaz knows of what Ruth has done. And it just so happens in the providence of God that Ruth ends up in his field, gleaning. And so he has this this opportunity to show favor to her and to show care to her. And you see, the point should not be missed here that Ruth has found favor with Boaz because she is a true member of Israel. She has been brought into the family. She has been brought into the church, to use the language of today. And it's a testament to how God cares for his people and how he loves his people. And how he will not allow his people to go without the basic necessities. She has found favor because she has proven that she is of the household of God. And in verse 12, Boaz prays. He responds to her question and he prays that Yahweh would repay her. That he would give her a full reward for what she has done. Now, is Boaz implying here that God owes Ruth? Does he mean that that God really needs to repay her? She's done God a favor? No, I don't think that's what it means. I don't think the Bible teaches that. God doesn't have to repay any debts. He doesn't owe us for anything. He's not indebted to us. What Boaz means is that no one, not him, especially not Naomi, no one can repay Ruth for the kindness that she has shown to Naomi. No one has the resources to return to her the kindness that she has shown. Only God can do this. And so in a sense, God is repaying to Ruth Naomi's debt. And so so Boaz prays for God's covenant blessings to be poured out upon Ruth. And when he does this, he is invoking all of those promises that God made to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Those promises for obedience to God's command. Where God tells his people that he will, he will make their, their, their marriages fruitful, that he will produce yields, great yields of, of fruit in their fields. That he will bless them abundantly. That he will provide for them and protect them. All of these promises Boaz is invoking on Ruth's behalf. And notice the rest of verse 12. Boaz finishes up by saying, A full reward be given you by the Lord. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now this phrase, under the wings of the Lord, under under the wings 
to take refuge. This occurs on numerous occasions in Scripture. It occurs frequently in the Psalms. And it's always a picture of God's protection for His people, of His care for His people. He shields His people from harm's way. And we just read uh, from the Psalm about how God cares for His people. He protects us. And so Ruth here, she's a true follower of God. And so Boaz prays for God, for, for her to God, and he tells her, you have taken refuge under the Lord's wings. You've taken refuge. And this is what happens to people who take refuge under God's wings. You see, Ruth has placed herself at the mercy of God and consequently at the mercy of God's people. She's given herself over to them. She has given up the perceived control of her life and she's given it over to God. And she realizes that God will take care of her. She understands that the good that comes her way is from God alone. Boaz's kindness to her is ultimately God's kindness to her. And Ruth responds to what Boaz has said in verse 13. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth knows. She calls Boaz her master, but she understands that her Lord, the Lord God of heaven, the Lord God of Israel, has protected her. It has called her into his family. She has taken refuge under his wings. And God has used Boaz to give her comfort. Ruth was fearful. She was concerned that this meeting with Boaz would not turn out well. But as he spoke kindly to her, she realized that Boaz would care for her with the care of the Lord. He treated her better than his own workers, even though she was not one. Ruth has placed herself at God's mercy. She is in his hands. She is not in control, and she knows this. But this doesn't mean that she wasn't concerned about, Boaz, about how Boaz would receive her. And to her great relief, Boaz, a worthy man, receives her well. He's a, he's a man who sought to honor God by caring for Ruth. Now you all know this. Being at someone else's mercy, being under someone else's control, is not a comforting thing. It's very difficult for us even to, to allow God or to acknowledge that God is in control of our lives. We think we're in control. We want to be in control of everything. Our world is made in such a way that we control everything around us. And yet this passage reminds us that God is in control. And it's not even a matter of us relinquish, relinquishing control as much as it is realizing that God is in control. And whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we realize it or not, God is sovereign over every part of our lives. He orchestrates everything in our lives so that we will come under his care, under his protection. Well, we learn a good deal about Ruth in this book, but we learn even more about God and about his character, don't we? We see how God has taken care of Ruth we know that scripture teaches that God is abounding in steadfast love. And the book of Ruth shows his steadfast love in a particular circumstance. But how different is Ruth from the people of God at the time of Jesus? How different does she react to God's care? She embraces the wings of the Lord. She comes and seeks him out. 
She leaves Moab. She comes to Israel. But when Jesus came to his own people, they did not receive him. And do you remember the words of Jesus? He cries out in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. Jesus laments the unwillingness of God's people, of his people, to be gathered under his wings. They refuse. Ruth seeks refuge under God's wings, but again and again the people of Israel refuse to take refuge in him. They were in no need of refuge, they think. They They don't want to come under the refuge and under the wings of this man who was grown up in Nazareth. They didn't need him. He was a poor man. They were in Jerusalem. Who was he to offer refuge to us? But the reality is that we are all needy beggars like Ruth. We all need the protection and the provision of the Lord. And our only hope, our only hope is that the Lord will have mercy on us. That he will care for us, poor sinners though we are. Now, for those of you who believe, those of you who trust in the Lord, He will use the events of your life to drive you to Him again and again. You all know it. We all stray. There are times where our faith is intermitted, where we struggle. But we can trust that the Lord will use our hardships to drive Him, to drive us, to compel us to Him. And this is an act of God's grace. Even the pain that we have in our lives will drive us to him if we truly believe in the Lord Jesus. But for those of you who do not believe, Jesus calls you in his word. He calls you in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, to repent. He calls you to be gathered under his wings, to come to him. And all of those, all of you who truly believe, who truly repent, will be gathered under his wings. You will know the shelter and the protection and the providence of the Lord Jesus Christ.